And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. After a more than month-long coaching search, the Sixers have settled on Glenn Doc Rivers to be their next head coach. Rich and I go over his strengths, his weaknesses, the concerns, and the fit with the roster in this episode of the Sixers Beat. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. This is our second Sixers Beat of the night, although I guess technically not of the night since we are recording this early on Friday morning, but our second podcast about these Sixers hiring Doc Rivers to be their next head coach. How you doing, Rich? I'm okay, man. It's uh, It's been a while since we've we've done a late night pod, but... I guess when we actually have some news to talk about for the first time in a while, it uh, it's worth it. Yeah, it has been, you know, ever since the Sixers lost in the first round, swept in the first round by, by Doc Rivers' old team, pretty old team at this point. It's been, been a solid seven years since he's been in Boston. But ever since the Sixers were swept by the Celtics, there has not been a whole lot of news. There's been a lot of ranting, a lot of angst, a lot of anger, but not much in the form of news. So it is nice to finally have something concrete to talk about. And some of that anger, I would say actually a lot of that anger and that ranting has been because there has been no news. Yeah. Right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, there has Those been things a, are a, correlated. Yes, for sure. But now there is news. Maybe not so the news people want, but news. We had a quick reaction podcast, which is up on The Athletic, which I don't think that is in our, our Sixers. I probably should have check this beforehand. I don't think that has been in our Sixers beat feed. So if you haven't heard that, I guess we'll just have a quick recap of what we thought. I guess we'll start off with this way. Maybe go about it a little different. What would you say are the strengths of Doc Rivers as an NBA head coach? I think there are a lot of things that, that would be strengths. His level of gravitas. Um, I know that's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but you know, former player has won an NBA title, has coached a lot of star level players. I think he is a very underrated. Now, it was probably less so this year because that team, kind of like the Sixers, felt like something was off with them all season. And also the, the nature of their players where they, they just didn't have a lot of great passers on that team this season. But I would say... <laughs> He's going to have a blast with this one then. Yeah, well, he doesn't have a lot of great... um dribblers on this team either too so yeah no but I was about to say that over his career Doc probably has been underrated as an X's and O's guy I mean he's always been somebody who's pretty creative with the after timeout plays frankly you know the, the Clippers made I think they were the number one offense in the NBA two years in a row and not to say that there wasn't a ton of firepower on that team but they all they did have two guys in the front court who couldn't shoot at all. 
And, you know, those pieces of the names that the Sixers were considering, probably like the the closest thing to it where they they had Blake and DJ, who are both awesome and really can help your offense, but they really couldn't shoot from three. I don't know if Blake had, had moved his range out at that point yet. There's a lot of things. I you know, I, I would say the the only thing that that's a major drawback is the the recent playoff record and the spotty chemistry in in some instances. Although that has been good at times. Like I think he's had a weird chemistry record in that yes. some of his teams have had awesome chemistry. Those Celtics teams were together, they were tough, they played their asses off, and the Lob City Clipper team was like, uh, what did JJ call it? Like passive aggressive bitching and, and all <laughs> that stuff and pettiness and all of those and things. And his past Clippers team didn't look all that connected either. No. and But then the Tobias Harris Clippers team did. It, your real a spotty record in that regard is probably the perfect way to state that. Well, I guess he's due to have a, a good <laughs> um, chemistry because, you know, you go Boston, good, Lob City, bad. The team a couple years ago with Tobias and then like Landry afterwards, good. This Clippers team, bad. It's going to be good. Science. The Sixers chemistry <laughs> is solved. No. Um, but yeah, I, I think compared to D'Antoni and Lou, he's probably a, a little bit more of like a more established Lou, I would say, where, you know, he's he's obviously coached for a lot longer and he's a little more conventional, but... He has strengths across the board, I would say. Good good interpersonal stuff and good X's and O's guy too. Also, like way back when he uh he hired Thibodeau and, you know, kind of let him do his thing on the defensive end, and that was kind of a match made in heaven there too. So just hires good assistants, all of those things. So he's I mean, like a well rounded candidate for sure. Yeah. I I think to your point about X's and O's, like I always look at his teams and their base sort of system always makes sense. It fits the, the, the skill sets of their stars. It um, puts them in roles that they can succeed in. He also, I think he does a pretty good job of asking his stars to grow, whether that's, you know, DeAndre Jordan and the evolution he had early in Doc's Clippers career, going from sort of a, uh, not want to say disappointing because he was an early second round pick, but a, just a sort of middling center into a guy who I think made, what, two All-NBA teams? Two or three, a couple. The growth of Blake Griffin, from sort of just this athletic power dunker to more of a finesse game, a mid-range shot, eventually a three-point shot, a short roll game, a passing game. He sort of encouraged him to grow there. Tobias Harris becoming more of a pick-and-roll threat. Kevin Garnett becoming more of a, a, a center later in his career, convincing him to do that. Like, he not only tailored his systems well to his stars, but asked them to grow as players as well in, in ways that they were capable of growing. And I think when you look at the Sixers and where they are, that is a very important consideration. Um, it's number one. Partially. I think, like you mentioned, just a guy who commands respect. I mean, when you look back at the whole Donald, Donald Sterling situation and the way he was able to step up and fill a role that not only, I think, that team needed, that city needed, but quite frankly, the NBA at large probably needed. Like, he... He's, he rose to that moment, and he's done that multiple times here over social situations of late. Like, he is a guy who commands respect not only because of his playing career and his long coaching career and winning a championship, but also just as a human being in a locker room. Like, I think players really react to that. 
I do think he can get on his stars. Uh, I mean, I think if you go back, read um, over at The Athletic, there's been some good reporting on this. Sometimes maybe that didn't work, and I think he sort of dialed that back here of late. But at times, he's been able to get on his stars and, and push them, which is a, a tough balancing act to find. He has done real well for a long time. Like the last time he had a losing season was I think about 13 years ago. It was a season right before Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen joined the Celtics. So he has consistently been a very good, I think the Clippers over the seven years they were, he was in Los Angeles. I think they had the fifth best record in the NBA over that time. Obviously I had a lot of talent, but I mean, they were consistently towards the top. Like you said, I think he is a well-rounded candidate who probably a little underrated as a tactician, especially in their base offense. And the reason I'm specifying that is we'll get to that in a second, who is intense, who commands respect and can get growth out of his stars. I think that is where you sort of start with. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Do we want to go to the elephant in the room right now? What, the bad playoffs? (laughs) He's won three playoff series in seven years despite having Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, J.J. Redick, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, etc. Oh, that elephant. Oh, that okay. Elephant, yeah. Yeah, when you put it that way, that's not too great. And that's not even uh, like three of those. So he's, 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 what, I think three and they made the playoffs six out of seven seasons, I think. So he's won three playoff series, lost six. Three of those six losses have been some of the most memorable playoff series uh, we have seen. Yeah, let's give him credit for a nice uh, moral victory against Lucky. the Warriors last year. You, but... can't bl- you can't blow a three run, one lead unless you get to it. Yeah, no, it's it's true. Those have been some really classic meltdowns. I would say the the one year when CP3 turned the ball over at the end of Game Five against OKC, like I'm not gonna really kill Doc for that. Although my God, I was thinking if Brett Brown coached that team and that <laughs> happened, oh man, that would not be good. So I guess yeah, that's the first one. And, and and that's not great, although OKC was a more talented team that season. The one against Houston and the one this year against Denver, those are pretty bad. Those those times he had the more talented team. And look, I understand that shit happens sometimes. And when I say shit happens, Corey Brewer and Josh Smith make yeah, <laughs> a million threes in a game. I, that's the most shocking game I think <laughs> of the past decade of NBA basketball. The Clippers were up like eighteen in the third quarter, like a layup line, a dunk line with Griffin and Jordan in that game. It looked like they were going to win by forty, 
And for that game to turn with Harden on the bench, just one of the most shocking games you'll ever see. And then this season, I, I think you can make somewhat of an excuse for, you know, this is the bubble. And I think it'll be interesting in a few years how we look back and, and hopefully we're back to kind of normal NBA basketball and the, uh, you know, the BRI split and all of these other things are not, you know, hanging over our heads at that point. But to look at the personnel moves that get made because of what happened in the bubble, because a lot of weird stuff happened in the bubble. It wasn't just the Clippers losing. That was the weirdest thing. And this isn't to excuse them. Denver, their whole team got COVID and, and they still beat them. So, you know, it's, it's not like giving them a pass, but the Clippers were a team, Lou and Montrez didn't look like they uh, they had it as much. Paul George kind of was at the front of the line. He was open about the uh, the mental struggles and the, the mental health problems of being cooped up in that damn thing at all times, which is understandable. And he struggled mightily at times and got, got roasted for that. And Kawhi just didn't look quite as athletic either. That said, that is a really bad loss. They were way more talented than Denver. And uh yeah, that's the elephant in the room. It's it's not a small one either for uh for a team that uh wants to get over the hump in the playoffs too. Yeah, it is. It is interesting that they, I mean uh, Brett Brown essentially fired because he couldn't get out of the second round of the playoffs and um it's been a minute since Stock Rivers has gotten out of the second round of the playoffs. It's been a minute. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, this 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 Clippers team, it was a huge, huge... Dis- and look, when you start off with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, like that is a really flexible starting point. Those are two stars who mesh pretty well together, who you can put a lot of different skill sets around. And like you said, not a whole lot of passing on that team, and that's that's the one real flaw of that team. Yeah, but still. I mean, they're the, they're the anti-Sixers. That is plug and play. Oh, oh absolutely. And now you're going to a team with two stars who are... Maybe the most, not maybe, they have to be the most difficult in the league. Not, I mean, look, it's great starting point in terms of talent, but in terms of fit, it is the most awkward fit in the league. Um, the combination of, you know, I think when you look at Doc, the biggest criticism I have of him, and look, you know, some of the maybe locker room problems with the Lob City Clippers, like there have been a lot of reporting that he was, at least involved in some of that drama. Like, or at least in, it played a hand in some of it. Um, I do think, you know, his his relationship with Chris Paul obviously deteriorated. Like, Chris Paul was one of the reasons that he, um, you know, Chris Paul was heavily recruiting him to come to the Clippers when he was back with Boston. To have that deteriorate the way it did was, was disappointing. You know, there was, I think, a lot of reporting over some preferential treatment he was giving Kawhi Leonard and Paul George this year. And that graded some people the wrong way. So those are concerns. You know, like you said, very tight and cohesive Boston teams. Not so much here over the last couple of years. But if I'm looking at the number one concern, adjustments in the playoffs are probably up there. My major concern is that he seems a little stubborn when you get to playoff basketball. And again, for a a team that I think a lot of people listening to this would say some similar things about Brett Brown, um, that is... It, it, he was just—it just seems like a lot of these Clippers teams, especially the ones that blew the lead, especially the more talented Clippers teams that blew the lead, they were slow to react. Um, yeah, he's—he stuck with Harold too long in this series. He—he he did not look 
coming back in the bubble, he did not look the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess on a positive note, the Sixers are, and I, I don't mean this as a positive at all. The Sixers are not at that point right now. Now maybe he can whip them into shape. And whenever we get to the next playoffs, then that becomes a concern them playing in the second and third round of the playoffs. But it seems to me that they were really looking for an experienced hand. And I, th- I think what will be interesting over the next, you know, a few days, whenever he explains what happened, this seemed to happen really quickly, really quickly. Yep. And they, you know, it, the reporting is that Mike D'Antoni was in the lead. Maybe some other people wanted Ty Lu, but as soon as Doc Rivers became available, you know we're talking a matter of what two days. Yeah, no, the, I mean the, the coaching search that dragged on for a month got resolved real quick once he became available. Yep. And if we're clear here, when this coaching search started, Doc was in the middle of the first round of the playoffs. Like they had right. no idea. I, I mean, I, I, as a as somebody series, which which by the way didn't go all that well for the Clippers either. No, no, they got taken. They they got tested by a team that was really banged up by the end of it. Yeah, they uh, it, still even at that point though, there there was no reason to think that Doc was on thin ice. I mean, I thought they were going to at least make the conference finals, and it seemed inconceivable to me as long as they didn't get destroyed by the Lakers, which I didn't think was going to happen. Um, the Doc would be available. Yeah, and it's just one of those things where, you know, the, the Sixers jumping into this was fast, but just Doc's last three weeks have come fast. You're yep. up three-one against Denver, looking like maybe you're starting around in a form, and then within the next month, you're flying to Philadelphia and getting an offer, watching Game One of the Finals. It's a, uh, it's a lot to take in. Yeah, it is. Um. Where was I going to go? I was going to go. Well, I had a, a thought while you were. Let me let me say talking. this to you. Doc Rivers seems like somebody to me. Who, if he didn't have options this season, although I think he probably would have had options this season, he's somebody who I think could have afforded to be choosy. Yeah, he but- is well thought of in the NBA, and whether that was a job this season or next year. Like he didn't have to take this job, and he still would have gotten paid by Steve Ballmer. Two he, years left. Yep. Yeah, and I'm sure Steve Ballmer's pretty happy about whatever contract he signed with the Sixers because he has to pay less money at the dock. But there's that. There's the uncertainty of this season. If you ever were going to take off a year, it'd be this one, right? Yeah. Don't have to deal with any potential bubble bullshit again. Yep. Exactly. You have no idea when you're going to start playing again. And Doc could have went on TV, which he's good at. Like we we talked about a little bit, I think on our other podcast, it's it's all blending together to me now. So for him to take this job for a Sixers team, for a front office, for a roster that has been dragged through the mud over the past few months, not totally uh, undeservedly either. It's a little bit of a win, I'd say. Even even if it doesn't 
you know, like it doesn't matter quite as much as changing the roster, but just, you know, as like a little ego bump to, to land him. And now <laughs> I am sure they paid him a lot of money and that that's going to be a big factor here, the five-year contract. But still, it has to feel pretty good that that he did not have to choose you, and he did. Yeah, well, it, it's also it presents an interesting if you have to make further front office changes if Elton doesn't turn this thing around, uh, you would be in a situation where you might be hiring an executive again without the ability to hire his own head coach, and that doesn't always turn out well because Doc Rivers' contract, even with you know, I think Elton was getting his renegotiated. I'm sure Doc Rivers is both more expensive and longer term than Elton's contract, which is always interesting. Um, That's a weird thing around the NBA where the coaches just, they make more than the yeah. GMs. Yep. And and Doc is one of the highest paid coaches in the league. For sure. Yeah. I mean, look, I, uh, there are things I like about Doc. There's things I, I have concerns about pretty much. I mean, we, we say this all the time. Like when you get in that range where you're not like top five, not top seven, uh, where your success or failure is very dependent on situation. I think Doc, you look through his career, and it, and this is, again, something we said on the other pod, so I apologize for repeating myself. But if you look through Doc's career, he's a pretty much a perfect representation of that. He gets fired in Orlando. An Orlando team that probably wasn't good enough around Tracy McGrady, but he gets fired in Orlando, goes to Boston, and they don't have a lot of success. He goes 24-58 and 58 in his second year. Looks like he's practically on the outs. Who knows if he gets another chance in his NBA career, or at least as a head coach, or at least immediately as a head coach. They bring in, in KG. They bring in Ray Allen. Next thing you know, he's winning 60 games back-to-back years. Goes to two NBA finals in a three-year stretch. Wins one of them, and now he's been employed for 21 of the last 22 years as a head coach and hasn't had a losing season since the Bush administration. So I think a lot of, 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 of what we look at as a coach failed here, succeeded here, this is proof they're good at this. This is proof they're they're bad at that. You can look at the at, you know locker rooms which are good at some points, bad at others. He motivates some players, doesn't motivate others. He has people like KG who will die for him. He has people like Chris Paul who lost luster. Like a lot of this is going to be situational. A lot of this is going to be how he clicks with Embiid and Simmons. A lot of this is going to be, quite frankly, the talent that Elton Brand and whatever the decision making tree looks like puts around him. And that's sort of like being a that, that that's a perfect encapsulation of a coach in today's NBA. We're going to focus on this a lot. He certainly is important. You know, I think he is a good coach. I don't think he's enough where, you know, Doc Rivers, I don't think, not immediately at least, I don't think he's going to come here and fix the Sixers' problems. You hope he can help Embiid and Simmons grow. You hope they sort of have the personality where they will buy into it. But it's it's not a sure thing. I mean, one of the things I forget if it was Kevin Arnovitz or who reported this a couple of years ago, you know. But he pretty much went on the record and he said, like, I can't coach these guys. I can't push them. Like they they're they're not the team I had in Boston. They won't respond that way. And he's talking about the Lob City Clippers. And he basically admits that like he didn't have fun coaching that team. So it's not like a guarantee that he's going to come here and have the right buttons to push for him beating Sims. I think it's going to be a little bit personality driven. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I think he's a passionate guy. I think he's, a, a, quite frankly, I agree with what you said. I think he's an underrated X's and O's guy. Maybe he doesn't adjust quick enough in the playoffs, but I think, um, go back to it, his base schemes yeah. generally are sound. Building a framework for, for everybody to work in. Yeah. But that's so important many, with these guys, too. I mean, 100% because the framework is not fucking obvious. <laughs> not at all. Um, 
but I mean, so much is going to come down to the roster around him, whether he clicks with Embiid and Simmons, whether the, all the personality types sort of mesh. And I mean, Lob City Clippers are the perfect representation of that. And and also going back to Lob City, uh, I hate making these comparisons, but going back to Lob City Clippers, like the weight of unmet expectations. This is something we've talked about with Embiid and Simmons in the past. The weight of unmet unmet expectations can be crushing to a team, to a core, to a locker room. And nowhere in NBA history, recent NBA history at least, have you seen that play out more than Los Angeles. And look, Embiid and Simmons have only been together for three years. But there's a lot of weight coming down now from those unmet expectations. And we'll see how everyone reacts. That's, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. He, uh... He certainly is, like you said, though, he's he's dealt with some tough off-court situations. One thing that uh, I think I've made this joke already that I love about him, I don't know if I've made this on the pod, but I definitely told you this when we were covering a game when he was covering the Clippers, or uh, when he was coaching the Clippers and they were playing the Sixers. Doc Rivers is the anti-Jim Boylan. When a team that he is coaching is down by like 10 and it hits like 159 on the clock. He's like, get the fuck out. We are we are packing it up, fellas. Like, I am not sweating this regular season loss. One iota. I got a plane to catch or a dinner to catch. Let's get the hell out of here. And I think that's, I mean, obviously that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but he pulls his guys faster than anybody in the league. And what that to me speaks to is that he is somebody who's not going to get rattled by daily regular season BS that happens in the NBA. Like he's not going to sweat a four game losing streak quite as much. Hopefully it doesn't get to a four game losing streak, but you know what I mean? Like a, a funk in uh in the Sixers play for a little while. So yeah, I think that was the main thing they targeted. The, the one thing you can say for all three of the so-called finalists here, it's clear that they weren't going to hand this over to a neophyte. Like, I I honestly think the Jay Wright speculation probably went a little too far. I I don't think he would have gotten the job because they want somebody who has handled an NBA locker room and has proven that they can can do it in a high-pressure situation. And Doc is, you know, he's done it in Boston. He's Obviously not as not as well in Los Angeles, but at least this won't be on the job training. And that right or wrong seems like one of the biggest um, characteristics that Elton Brand and the ownership we're looking for here. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. He has been coaching for so long that he coached Patrick Ewing in Orlando. Whew, that's amazing. And he's still only like in his mid-50s. Yeah. He's been doing this for a while. Yeah, he has the experience, that is for sure. You know, I think one thing that I I, I want to mention here, um, I don't know how long we're going to do this with our second podcast tonight. You've heard, heard some speculation that his relationship and, and Tobias Harris having a career year under Doc Rivers could be part of the Sixers' thought process. <laughs> God, I fucking hope not. All right, so let, let's go back. In the, in the <laughs> half year that Harris was with, well, he was in in LA for two half years, but the half year that was his career year, he averaged 20.9 points, 7.9 rebounds, 2.7 assists and shot 49.6% from the field and 43.4% from three point range. I forgot Most this. Of, I forgot to say that on the strengths. He, he makes Tobias Harris make threes. That's, right. that, that's what he does. So if you look at most of the periphery stats, the assists, he got to the free throw line marginally more, but not a ton. The defense all still bad. All not not becoming of a hundred eighty million dollar man. The reason why he had a career year is because he shot forty three percent from three, where his career average is thirty six point five, and because he shot forty eight percent on long two point jumpers, when his career average is forty one percent. Tobias Harris had a career year because Tobias Harris did something he's never shown he can sustain. Now look, no, no, maybe- that was Doc. He was he was drawing it up and he was he was. You know, pointing the, the arrow to the basket on his whiteboard and saying, Tobias, make more of these. Brett now wouldn't look, do that, man. <laughs> yeah. Now, look, did, Tobias, did, did Doc help Tobias grow? Yes. He encouraged him to be more of a pick-and-roll player. He, it, contrary to reports, Tobias Harris's pick-and-roll play has not fallen off of a cliff when he's been here, but that was something he did not really have in his game before he got to L.A., and he gets credit for helping him grow to that. But by and large, I think the Tobias Harris you saw this past year is who Tobias Harris is. I think that career year with the Clippers is mostly just a career year. I think the Sixers, you know, bought once on that career year when they made that trade. They doubled down on that career year being the new norm when they gave him that contract. And if they are tripling down on that career year coming back, I think they're making a huge mistake. Now, what I'll say is I don't think that Tobias Harris's career year is the reason why they hired Doc Rivers. I think they hired Doc Rivers because of his 21-year track record and because they believed in that. But let's not let's not overstate the Tobias Harris career year. That's my my one request. You're saying it's Doc's fault for Tobias Harris's regression? No, for the yeah for the series of events that. Oh uh, yeah, no, I mean look, pumped up the value. If Doc Rivers thought he could consistently get that out of Tobias Harris, they probably don't trade him to the Clippers. Because remember, the Clippers didn't want to pay Tobias Harris in free agency. That's why they moved him. They thought they were going to lose him, so they were going to get stuff back for him. Yeah, I don't know. 
Here's one other thing I want to bring up. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are both one year left on their contracts. They'll be unrestricted free agents whenever the next season ends. I don't even want to guess on that right now. It is interesting to me that they are moving on from Doc Rivers now. They're making a change that drastic when your entire goal right now is to convince Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to stick around long term. Like that is something that, and again, Doc Rivers as a, a player's coach, as sort of like a leader that his stars love is up and down. But you worry whether this might be a downturn if they're thinking, hey, getting rid of Doc increases our chances of keeping these two stars around. Yeah, I don't really know what's inside Steve Ballmer's head except... Uh, dollar signs. Dollar signs. Very rich man. Yeah. Whatever is getting him to act so hyper. Go go search for Steve Ballmer Windows 1.0. Oh, come on. I tweeted that gif out today, man. <laughs> it's... Uh, even have reversey. Oh my God. Start me up. That's the... Uh, that's a very funny video for sure. Yeah, I don't know what was inside of inside his head, except to me, it just seems like it was, it was like you said, Doc at the end of the playoffs has been shaky, and he has a roster that he knows is like talented enough to at least make the conference finals. Probably, I honestly, I think it's a better roster than what the Lakers have. You know, the Lakers have the two great players, but the Clippers to me just, they felt way more rounded and, you know, sure. in a couple of the regular season matchups, it, it felt like that was the case too. No one through 10, one through 11, they had not only a, a two stars that you could really build around and really compliment in many different ways, but what, like one through 10, one through 11, they were as deep and, and as talented as, I mean, I, I picked them to win the finals, which shows what I know. I did too. So, yeah, so I think Bomber was probably thinking like, man, I, I need to take a swing with somebody else because I've just seen too many collapses with this guy. That, that to me, is what I think he saw. You know what else was interesting, too? I didn't look this up. It feels to me like Joel Embiid has had some of his best games of his career against the L.A. Clippers. Well, certainly that one out in L.A., the, what was it 47-17-7 and seven or something like that? That was the Lakers game, I think. Well, remember he had the... In 2017, they were both. Yeah, I don't yeah. It was it was two. He had two good games in LA. It was two monster games. The Lakers one was a little bit better, but the the Clippers one was big. He had a huge game against the Clippers at the beginning of 2018, at at home when uh when Covington and and Saric were still here in that that month when the Sixers were struggling, and then the Sixers played a great game against the the Clippers, which we talked about for like two months when we had nothing else to talk about. And Brett Brown just kept mentioning it. So yeah, you're right. It was 32 and 16 against the Clippers. That's it, though. That's it. Yeah. He uh he's had a lot of really good games against the the Clippers, and in that game from February from this year, you know, he, Ben Simmons had a triple double, I believe, in that one. He saw Shake Milton light his ass up <laughs> in L.A. Too. That's why he. That's why he came to Philly. Sure. Jake Milton, yeah. It'll be interesting. You know, one thing that, that the Clippers have always had, really, it, Doc Rivers' teams in general, uh, going back to Ray Allen, off-ball movement, uh, shooters who could fly off of screens, guys like Landry Shamit, J.J. JJ Redick. Redick. Doesn't have a whole lot of that here. Again, maybe he regrets that Tobias trade. Who knows? Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, and again, I don't think Doc is necessarily. Do you think he started with his, with his interview saying you gave a shamit too? <laughs> really? It doesn't seem like he uh, is so much tied to his system, but sort of like D'Antoni, like he has sort of core beliefs that I'm not sure this necessarily meets. Like he does have experience using big men in, in a variety of different ways, and that's good. But we will see. Um, we'll see. You you could you could you could see sort of. I mean, Simmons was sort of trending into that later Clippers era Blake Griffin role, so that will be interesting. Unfortunately, he's also got another center sitting there in the in the paint. But so did the Clippers. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what can carry over. Uh, that was also a few years ago now at this point. So the NBA's changed, but we'll see. Also, you don't have the point guard on your team to make that all work. No, and you don't have the the center in the lane is also the best lob guy in the league, whereas Embiid is not Joel that good. Is not. That is interesting with all the Chris Paul rumors uh, and the way that those two, the divorce between those two was was not strong. I, I did um, see a clip, though, today where he, he said things had gotten better. You know, this, yeah, it's it's easier to say that when you're not living together anymore, though, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, you know, some friends are meant to be your roommates and some just aren't, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do think Chris got Doc to speak during the... Um the stoppage after the Kenosha shooting. So, you know, and the Clippers, I believe were one of the two teams who said, we don't want to play anymore either too. But I mean, that, that, that whole lob city Clippers, it's so tough to really diagnose what the source of their problems were. Like there were so many strong personalities and just different personality types. And quite frankly, just Chris Paul, who's sort of a prickly personality to begin with and a little too demanding, and then you have the weight of expectations, and, like, I'm not sure, maybe there was just no coach that could have corralled that, you know, derailing team culture. But it's, you can't ignore it either. No, and it is funny that he coached Blake Griffin, as you said, and Rajon Rondo. Yep. I mean, yep. put them together, and that's Ben Simmons. <laughs> I'm kidding, but... He certainly has experience, though, putting together the puzzle pieces when, like, not all of them are perfect. So, so yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. Like, I, I like his his base sets. Although, yeah, like you said, there tends to be at least one Reddick Shamit movement guy there, and he, he had Ray Allen back in Boston, who's probably the best version of that ever. Um, yeah, I mean, like, look, I. Would have been fine with any of the coaches that they hired. Really, like it, it's hard for me to say Doc Rivers is going to be worse than Ty Lue for this reason, or or Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni yeah. would have been definitely a departure, just considering his offensive style is so unique. It has been so unique over his career. Doc's been a, a slightly more conventional, but all three of those guys. They had their strengths and weaknesses and had some of the same strengths in terms of the experience. But I don't know if it's going to work. I'm sure this will uh, we'll celebrate this and woohoo! And the uh, our, our shitty season didn't happen, but it did. And it did. Right. And, you know, you haven't remedied the roster yet, to be fair. You didn't have, you actually like can't do that yet. But uh, it, it's it's a nice step, but it's a small step, I would say. Yeah, I mean, look, there's you weren't 
like you weren't getting Nick Nurse. Like he wasn't. Now, would I have liked if they would have like looked for the next Nick Nurse? Sure. And again, as we discussed on the last official Sixers beat, like that's tough to do when you have a team with these expectations and these established stars. But it is. I mean, it's it's you know it it not like we said last time. Not the most creative job search. I think they got a, a of the three candidates. I think Rivers probably has the highest floor. You know, I'm not sure they have a. I don't think they have a top five coach ceiling in what they got. The question is, can he be the person to get Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to take the next step? There's a chance of that. Can he be sort of like the one to make the Sixers? You know, are you going to go into a conference finals? Well, I mean, if they get to it, uh, but would you go into conference finals and think we have the coaching advantage? Eh, yeah, but to be fair, I didn't know if uh, if Frank Vogel had the coaching advantage, and he's been he's been money with like their defensive schemes and everything. So, you know, a, a lot of this, you know, we talk sure. about sure. the culture that he set in Boston, and those teams were tough. He got buy in from KG and Paul Pierce, and if he gets that level of buy in from Simmons and Embiid. Yeah, they have a chance to be pretty damn good again. Well, I mean, this is this is probably so. Like, remember we had Redick on about three and a half years ago, I think. So at this point, um, what was that? Probably back in April ish, maybe. But we had Redick on. He said it's, it's it's extremely rare for your best players to also be your leaders, and it's sort of making an excuse for Embiid and Simmons not being that person now. Well, pretty much all the teams Doc has had, Kevin Garnett, natural born leader. Chris Paul, a little too intense of a leader, but he has that <laughs> that leadership personality. About in about sixty percent good and forty percent like he <laughs> yeah. dialed back a minute, buddy. Yeah. Um. This team doesn't like Embiid and Simmons are not that now. Could they become that? Maybe, but there's certainly that void where he doesn't have sort of that star player who can take what he's preaching and apply that to the locker room through the voice of a peer. The Sixers don't really have that. You know who else didn't have that? To see, I'm sorry? You know who else didn't have that? Who's that? The 2019-20 Clippers. Yeah, no, that's true. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not he can grow that aspect of their personality, whether or not Embiid and Simmons just don't, you know, maybe they're too much of an introvert, too quiet to themselves to really become that. Again, we're talking about a lot that you need to evaluate of who, what you really have from Embiid and Simmons, and we'll see what he can get out of him. We'll see what he can get out of him. It's it's a high-pressure job for Rivers, but it really isn't because guess what? It's kind of similar to when the Phillies hi- hired Girardi. Yeah. Look, yep. look, Joe Girardi, we know, can take a good team, you know, and take it pretty damn far and even win a championship. Um. So if this doesn't work... Doc Rivers is a good enough coach with a long enough track record to where, you know, if there's not a lot of improvement and this is like a six or a seven seed, it's going to become clear to everybody that he ain't the problem. Yeah. I mean, look, you can go back and, and, and it underscores a lot of the tone of the podcast. Like the Sixers problems right now are roster related. Like I don't think, with Rivers here, they'll fall off a cliff. But I also think unless there's not major changes or major growth, probably both, I don't think they're going to be a one or a two seed either. So it will be, um, you know, this is sort of the first domino to fall. 
in what should be a pretty hectic offseason. But it has to be the first domino. Like the, that can't be. The, if, if this is the extent of their changes, I think uh, I think we're all in for a, a bit of disappointment. Yeah, I'm excited for the press conferences. He's he's a good talker. Oh, yeah, very good. And I mean, he uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, front office. What about the front office? Seems like the same one. Pick oh so pick far doc. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, that, that it's, just, it's just worth noting. Like, I, you know, when, when I mentioned the dominoes, like that's that's certainly what we're talking about, or part of what front office and then the players. And by the way, Doc Rivers is not. You know, you mentioned earlier how Doc um, forgot what I was going to say. It is very president of basketball ops with the yeah, yeah, exactly. He is like if somebody in the front office got fired down the road. And, and you mentioned that, like, how a new president of basketball ops or general manager won't be able to hire their coach. Uh, Doc is like, you know, I don't think he minds picking the players. No, but I think I mind Doc picking the players. I do, too. Uh, yeah. his, his track record was very poor, picking the uh, 2010 Eastern Conference All-Stars in 2016. 2016. <laughs> yeah, it, it was not working. No, and I think I think Kyle Newbeck reported that um, he will not have a front office role. Uh, like you said, though, if changes are coming, and you've already got this guy in Doc Rivers who's locked under contract for another three, four years at that point, um, could that change? Who knows? I hope it doesn't. First of all, he he didn't show any real competency in doing it, and also it's just a role that I don't believe that a a coach should fill both of those roles. Yeah, um, you, you just can't do it. Well, you don't. You don't have time. You don't have the perspective. There's a million different reasons. Should not happen, with very rare exceptions. Maybe Greg Popovich being the really the only one. Uh, yeah, no, I I hope that is not a a road they are considering. Yeah, so it's it's just kind of an interesting order in how they've done this. I think we mentioned on the last podcast if Elton really has the juice to to make this pick, and it is a hundred percent his pick. I'm not quite as worried about that order. Like it, it's unorthodox, but if it's really his call, you know, he was going to make that call anyway. Oh, but has Elton shown anyone enough that you would say, yes, I definitely want him being my GM for five years. I'd rather have him over a collaborative structure. Well, sure. But I mean, my, my point is you have an unproven GM. Like there is at least a chance that your coach will outlive him. Oh, sure. But, but I'm just like, Look, replacing him is not an option anymore. He's here, is my point. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, if that really, like, if the option that replacing, you know, him as head of basketball operations isn't on the table, it is unorthodox, but I don't have quite as much of a problem with it. But it is unorthodox. We we are going to say that. I mean, just going back and just, there can't be a, 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 a future, a timeline uh, where he um, Rivers becomes president of basketball ops again. That should be off the table. for sure. Yeah. And they, uh, I mean, they, they did step up. Like, I, you know, a lot of people were, were kind of saying, oh, look at all of these other jobs, New Orleans and Indiana. I think, you know, again, I don't know what their exact financial situations are. I'm going to 
I don't think I'm going out on too big of a limb here, though, when I say they don't have as much money as the Sixers. They're not willing to pay as much money for a head coach in a pandemic as the Sixers are. Oh, and look, and that's one thing. Like, we'll we'll get Houston on. Houston is definitely not. They no, definitely don't have the money. No. Um, and and that's one thing. Like, we'll get on ownership for a lot of reasons, and we have in the past, and I'm sure we will in the future. Doc Rivers has not come along cheaply. And like you mentioned, this is a weird financial time with a pandemic and no fans in seats. No, what was it? No bums in seats. Bums in seats. Threats, bums yeah, in bums in seats. We don't know when those bums will be back. So this is certainly like a big outlay for a, a team that could have gone cheap given the circumstances. And they did not. So good on them for that. All right. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done too. All right. Thanks for jumping on, Rich. And we will talk to you soon. See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.